good morning. Uh, this is the third time I've preached the sermon this morning, uh, but the first time that you get to hear it. Uh, so um, I'll act surprised, and then you should too. <laughs> My cousin's uh, husband is an actor. He used to be a detective, and now he's an actor, which is a really interesting career change. Uh, but that illustration will have to be for a different sermon. But he did, in fact, play a detective on a television series quite recently that the readings today reminded me of. You'll never guess what that TV series is. <laughs> of course, it's Shortland Street, which I hasten to add I don't actually watch. But you may, and that's okay. Most of the time, Darren's acting is as a stand-in for the main actors. So while the crew are focusing the lighting and adjusting the set and moving the cameras and doing the makeup for one take after another, Darren is there doing everything the main actor would normally do. Sitting, standing, holding a cup of water, because it's Shortland Street, committing adultery, murder and divorce. <laughs> Whatever the main actor does, Darren does first. Once the lights are focused and the set adjusted and the cameras moved, at that point, the main actor, who, who has been sitting around doing nothing, walks onto the set, says, says his or her lines, and then leaves again when the director says cut, and it happens all over again. And the stand-in and the actor, they almost never meet, let alone, um, let alone look at each other. So Darren does all the work, and the Hollywood A-lister gets all the glory. And a great deal more money, too, I would have thought. Now, when Jesus was giving the rather interesting teaching we find in Matthew's Gospel, he wasn't quite like the A-list celebrity who basically repeated what the stand-in had done. No, Jesus, in fact, turns it all on his head. One of the refrains in Matthew's Gospel is, You've heard it said, but I say. You've had a script, he might say, and you've memorized it, and you've acted it out but you've actually only got half the story. Earlier this week, Jenny and I were printing some pages for the Medbury services that have been happening uh, this week, Thursday at Medbury, yesterday here again this morning. And despite our amazing and legendary technological skills, the printer, for reasons only known to itself, printed some double-sided pages with one page up this way and the other page that way which made it rather difficult to read. But this reading, this gospel reading, does something quite similar. It turns everything upside down, or perhaps puts it all the right way up. We all know the saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions, which is why sometimes intentions aren't quite enough. You need to say, what effect am I going for and aim for that? Well, the effect that Jesus was going for here was to kind of appeal to his audience's egos when he says, you've heard it said. And they'll say, yes, of course we have, because we know this stuff really well and they're feeling quite good about themselves. Think about the audience he's talking to. They're people who know they're good and are really keen to tell you how good they really are. It's like the man who said, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. <laughs> Not that we've ever known people like that, I'm sure. 
So Jesus, having sort of appealed to the vanity of his audience, then does something really unexpected and abrupt. When he says, you've heard it said, he then doesn't say, and I agree, now let's all go out for coffee. He says, you've heard it said, but I say. Imagine listening to that. You're expecting Jesus to kind of line up with everything he's just said. But he turns it up and he says, but I say. Jesus does this kind of bait and switch, having settled his hearers well into their comfort zones about their virtuousness compared to the vices of others. He more or less says to them, don't get so cozy and comfy, you're just as bad. You share those same vices, you really don't have the kind of virtue that you think you do. And if you think that's all there is, well, let me tell you about the consequences, he says. Because they're pretty severe. They're pretty graphic. Cutting off your right hand, tearing out your eye, never getting out of prison until the last penny is paid. Exaggerations, surely, but they kind of ram home the point that if his hearers thought they were standing on solid ground of decency, good behavior, and virtue, then they really need to think again. Several years ago, I was involved in prison visitation at the now closed Wellington Prison. I met inmates who were in there for the most vile of offenses imaginable. And I won't tell you what they are because that's not helpful, but you could well imagine. And so cutting off their hands and tearing out their eyes and keeping them inside until every penny is paid and every kind of retribution is given seemed entirely right, given what they did that put them inside. But I remember really vividly being in a chapel service there at Wellington Prison, and it was as if I was in the audience where Jesus is teaching. And it's as if I hear him say, you've heard it said, but I say, my vices were no better than theirs, though perhaps better hidden. My transgressions no less than theirs, my sin no better or worse than theirs. And here's the kicker. They and me are loved by God. They and me are called by God to know deep in their bones the extraordinary graciousness that comes from having Jesus work in our lives. That means we keep our right arms, our eyes, and all the pennies are paid for us so that we can be set free. Some of those I met inside Wellington Prison came to know Jesus. And it's really extraordinary when you meet people whose life before meeting Christ was in such contrast to their life after they'd met Christ that there is no other explanation than the work of God in their lives. And the message in Matthew's Gospel, I'd suggest, is, among other things, 
about the freedom that we find through the graciousness of God, about loosening our grip on the you've heard it said, and about holding much closer to our hearts, but I say. And this takes us then back to the epistle to the Corinthians, which we've also heard this morning. Because if we say we're all part of God's family, God's servants all working together, then we ourselves have to locate ourselves as I did in the same room as those inmates at Wellington Prison. And so we are each one of us needing and not deserving the love and the grace of God. And what that does, it puts us on a level playing field and means that I can't think of myself more highly than I ought and you can't do the same. Because at the cross, we know we are, we are together. Jesus was teaching to his disciples then, as of course he still teaches to us today. But he had onlookers and eavesdroppers, perhaps those at the edge of the crowd, wondering who is this man and what is he teaching? And more than that, who are the people that are following him and listening to him? It's the same today, of course. We have people looking at us, wondering perhaps whether our lives are more about counting pennies than celebrating the freedom that we have in Christ. And so where do we go with this really confronting reading? Do we go, as I first did, to the fictional world of Shortland Street and escape in the sordid lives of others? Seven o'clock tomorrow night. Or do we go, as I did, face-to-face -face with those who we think their sin is greater than ours and ours is somehow less so? Or do we, in fact, go to the cross and see the one there who takes the script we've been living by and says, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. And what else might Jesus be saying to us after those three quite powerful words? Might it be, but I say, I love you. Might it be, but I say, I cherish you. Or might it be, as it was for some of those inmates at Wellington Prison, as it is for me and I pray for you, but I say, I set you free. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the confronting and yet comforting words of the gospel. Confronting because they shake us out of any sense of complacency. But comforting because they take us to you and to the, your cross. Father, as we go into this week, thinking about those words, but I say... May, through the work of your Spirit, they draw us closer to you and what you really believe and value about us. And may each one of us know the freedom that we find in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.